You know, life is filled with questions that are beyond all of our understanding. I mean, there's certainly no doubt about that. We're filled with things that go on that we say, God, I don't know where you are in the middle of this. And, and, And probably each one of us at some point in time has had that encounter where we've said, God, I don't know where you are. I couldn't feel farther away from you. Maybe a marriage is on the rocks. Maybe we lost work. Maybe we found ourselves in the middle of addiction. Maybe it's just simply we just feel empty. But the reality is we all have those questions. And it's in the middle of those questions, the middle of that time that says, God, where are you? That that we have to ask ourselves this question, which is really, what do I believe about God? I mean, the very, the nature, the core of who God is, what do I believe about God? And as I mentioned last week, I had somebody ask me that question. They said, Trev, I was at work and someone asked me what I believe about God. And I said, well, what did you tell them? And they said, well, I really didn't know what to say. I mean, I, I kind of know what I believe about God, but I, I don't really know how to articulate it or to say it. And I started thinking, I mean, how many of us really live in that sort of area where we feel like we have a handle on our own kind of understanding of things somewhat spiritual, but we don't really know how to articulate? I mean, how do we answer the question, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about the Bible. What do you believe about prayer, about Satan, about heaven, about hell, about the basic Christian principles and doctrines? How do we answer those questions? So I started thinking, what if we together began to explore those? What if we took time and over the next 14 weeks we opened up some great basic principles of Christian theology and practice, life, and we explored them together? And so what I decided that we'd do is we'd open this series called What I Believe and we'd just lay some of these things out there and talk about them together. So that ultimately at the end of the day we might be able to with confidence say, this is what I believe about God. And so that's where we begin. This series is going to be a little different. I'll probably preach through it and teach through it a little bit differently. It may be different than the way I style I normally preach. It may just be a lot more talking and teaching. Because some of these things are really difficult and some of them are really important. And for some of you, this may be a simple rediscovery. And for some of you, this may be your first time to dive into the idea. But it will give us a baseline, a starting point to begin to have this conversation together. So that's where we go. What do I believe? Rediscovering the basics of the Christian life. I mean, that's really what we're looking at. The basics of theology and the Christian life. Now, theology, you may be thinking, is one of those words that only, like, seminary people and pastors get really excited about, you know? But really, the word theology is is actually a really important word. It's just the study of. Anytime there's an ology on the end of a word, it really means the study or science of. It's really just the study of God and religious truths. Theo being God, ology being the study of. It's the study of God and the religious truth. It, It is really paramount for us to be able to articulate what we believe about God. We have to dive into theology. When you say, I believe God exists, you've officially become a theologian. When you say, I believe God doesn't exist, you have equally become a theologian. You are making statements about truth or non-truth about God, the study of God and religious truth. So theology isn't a word we shy away from. It's a word that we embrace and we say, it's what I and how I articulate my thoughts and understanding about God, about Jesus Christ, and about how we're called to see and live in the world. That's really all that word means. 
So when I say that it's a rediscovery of theology, it just simply means that for some of us, it's saying, I'm going to get into this again. And for some of us, it's maybe for the first time labeling the things that we always have talked about as actual theology. And on some level, we're all kind of closet theologians because we all speculate and talk about spiritual things, truth, God, in our own lives, our marriage, even in our own hearts. So we're all closet theologians on some level. And so we're going to dive back into that together. So what I really thought when I was kind of looking at this concept was where do we begin? I mean, where do you begin a conversation about God, about about Jesus, about the things in the Christian life like prayer and baptism and, and time with the Lord? And mission and evangelism and social justice. Where do you begin this conversation? Well, there really is only one place to begin. And we have to begin with the Bible. We have to begin with the Word of God, with Scripture. Because it is the foundation for everything that we address and answer as a Christian. If we don't have an understanding on what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about the Word of God, we really have no baseline to approach or begin to talk through the other things. So on some level, this is where we have to begin. And so it's only fitting that we start our series by saying, if we're going to be in here every Sunday talking about things of theology, and we're going to be studying the Bible every single week, I should at least be able to answer the question, what do I believe about it? Because you'd be, you'd be really surprised if you went around this room and you asked each person, what do you believe about the Bible? You get everything on the spectrum of, I believe it's God's holy word, to I believe it's a book of promises, or, or I believe some of it's great and some of it's not. We get a whole lot of thoughts. But we need to explore it together to come up with a baseline idea of, of what is Scripture and how does that affect us. A couple of uh, basic facts about the Bible, just to get us all on the same page. 66 books in the Bible. The Bible's made up of writings or books. They're not really books like you would think. Hardbound. There are more scrolls, writings, parchments, poetry, letters, things like that, but we call them books. It's made up of 66 of them, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, 40 different authors. Apostle Paul wrote the most. He wrote 14 of them, over half of the New Testament. And that's what we talk about when we talk about the Bible. That is the book itself. So rather than just sort of jumping around today and pointing different things out in Scripture, I think we'll do what we always kind of done, which is we'll open up one passage and we'll just look at it together and see what it has to say on the subject. So if you've got a Bible, you're going to pull it out to the book of 2 Timothy. If not, we've got them on these little podiums right there. Tom's got some and Bruce has got some. They're going to pass them out. I want everyone to grab one today, okay? I know that you don't always need one or take one. and We may put it up on the screen, but I want you to have it because I want you to put it in your hand. I want you to get used to holding on to this thing. I want you to get used to, to what it feels like. And if we don't have quite enough, then share it with somebody. But I just want them around. I want you to have them around you. Because I want you to understand that everything that I teach out of this thing on any given Sunday morning is coming straight from God's Word. And I want us to get in the habit of holding it, opening it, opening it, reading it, and investigating it together. So go ahead and grab it. Go ahead and find 2 Timothy. It's in the New Testament, about three-quarters of the way to the back. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 together. Let's pray. God, we are... um, It's just such an awesome experience to be able to come together to worship you. Lord, we realize that we bring all kinds of different things in this room, from socio-demographic backgrounds to issues we're struggling and dealing with. Not one of us is probably in the same walk of life. But you meet us all right where we are. Whatever we're dealing with, struggling with, whatever issues and 
stuff is happening. You meet us right in the middle of that. And God, each week I mention this, but I say it again, God, and that we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. And so God, open our hearts this morning to encountering you through your word in a way that will change us forever. That will change and alter our view of who you are and how you speak to us. Take just a moment, right, as you sit there and just ask God to open your heart in a new way this morning. Just, God, open my heart in a new way. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray for them. Get in the habit of praying for the people around you that God would move in their life. So just pray. God, I pray for this person. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's someone you've never seen. Just pray for them. God, we pray that you would open our hearts and that you would do immeasurable things in us. That you would challenge our views and understandings of who you are. And reveal to us something magnificent and holy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, which are what First and Second Timothy are, they're actually personal letters written to Timothy. And Timothy was Paul's disciple, apprentice. Paul was his mentor. They had this intense kind of relationship. And Paul did ministry with him. He considered him a ministry partner. But he also looked after him. He cared for him. And he discipled him. And he mentored him. And these letters are actually personal letters written from Paul to Timothy. And so on some level, the things that are in these letters are incredibly important. Because it's like Paul's giving his very best thoughts on the Christian life, on what it means to follow Jesus, on the church, to Timothy. I mean, think about it. If you had a son... Or if you had someone that you were mentoring and you were to, to write a letter to them and, they, and you were to put in everything you thought about, you know, the Christian life and all the things that God has revealed to you if you're Paul, those letters would be in tr- in, in incredibly important. They would be treasures. So a lot of the stuff that's in First and Second Timothy is just this heartfelt passion from Paul to Timothy. And in this section of 2 Timothy, Paul is actually writing to Timothy, talking to him about kind of, a, kind of an encouragement about life, but really telling him about what role Scripture is going to have to play in his life. Paul's life, was he knew it was close to being coming to the end, and Timothy was going to have to go on without him. And so Paul's writing kind of saying, Scripture is going to play an incredibly important role in your life, and so I'm going to speak to it. In this part of the letter. So turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14 together and go all the way down through 17. So he's saying this to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from who you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that every man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul's writing to Timothy and he's talking to him. You can see that kind of overtone in what he's saying. The importance of Scripture and the role that it's played not only in Timothy's life up until now, but the role that it will play in equipping him to live as a man of God. Now before we really dive into any of these core principles, we have to understand one thing together. And that one thing is this, that when we talk about Scripture... 
we're actually talking about the whole of Old Testament and New Testament Scripture. Because when I use the word, I'm using the word for the Bible as we have it, Old and New Testament. Now, those of you that are paying attention, and as we read, we saw the, the verse 16 that says, All Scripture is God-breathed. We're going to get to the God-breathed thing here in a minute. But all Scripture. Now, those of you that are paying attention are probably saying this. Trev, how can Timothy be ta- or Paul be talking about all Scripture? Right? I mean... All the New Testament letters hadn't even really been written yet. So what is Paul really referring to when he says, all scripture is God-breathed, all scripture is useful? Is he referring just to the Old Testament? That word for scripture in the Greek is the word graphe, which in 51 times in the New Testament is used to point to the category of holy writings that are in the Old Testament. So you're probably asking, well... That's great. If Old Testament scriptures are God-breathed, what are we talking about when we talk about the New Testament? Can we actually use this verse, all scriptures God-breathed, to apply to the New Testament? And I wish I had a ton of time to really spend talking about this, but I'm going to give you the short answer because it's important as we move on. And that's this. Paul was talking about the category of graphe, the category of scripture. Now, it's important for us to understand what makes up that category. Paul wasn't simply referring just to the Old Testament scriptures, but he's referring to the entire category of what we consider to be graphe or holy writing. Now we've got to understand that the the category of scripture was expanding at the time. It was actually moving beyond simply the law and the Old Testament letters and prophets. Because as the church was growing and developing, they were using these letters, these things, these historical writings of guys like Luke as part of... Graphe is part of scripture. There's a lot of examples in this, but one of the best one comes out of Second Timothy, Second Peter, and I'm going to read it to you real quick because it's important. This is what Second Peter says. He says this. Peter says, "Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with you the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters." Speaking in them of all these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Listen to this. As they do the other scriptures. See, there was the idea amongst Peter and the other church leaders that Paul's letters and the others like them were on par with the category of graphic. In other words, Peter considers all of Paul's letters equivalent with scripture. Now, this is important because we can rightly assume that the new church was using these documents as part of their understanding of what Scripture is. Part of their understanding of graphic, holy writings. So we can rightly assume that when we open this section out of, out of Timothy, we can say that all Scripture is referring to the category of Scripture, of holy writings, Old and New Testament. I know, lame and boring, but it's important, okay? So hang on to that. So when we use the word Scripture, we're talking about the whole of Old Testament and New Testament text categorically as holy writing, okay? As the Word of God. Now, hang on to that, because we're going we're gonna to revisit that. It's going to be really important in just a second. So listen to our text again. Paul's charging Timothy, and he says this. He says, Timothy, listen, here's the deal. You've got to continue on what you've learned from your birth. From infancy, you heard the scriptures, and you know who you heard it from. You are able to make through scripture, they will make you wise for salvation and faith in Jesus Christ, and all scripture is God-breathed. 
Now, there's a few things that are in this passage that we're going to pay attention to when it comes to our understanding of the Bible. And I think there's four core principles that we need to grab a hold of. Okay? Four core principles. The first of those four principles is this. Is that God's scripture, God's word, is the very word of God. Now, for some of us in here, you may say, okay, that's not all that important. But you've got to understand that this sets the tone for every single thing we do and live as a Christian. Is that Scripture is the very words of God. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. That that word in the Greek is theopunestos, which really means breathed out by God. Some translations will translate it as inspired. But the reality is the word means that God has breathed out out these very things now if all scripture is god breathed that means that all scripture is god's very word that means that the words of scripture are the words of god they are not man's suggestions they are not guys that sat around and put together the the sort of the great holy minds of the time and wrote some really good principles down but they are literally breathed into life by god now, Scripture came about in a whole lot of different ways. It's not about dictation, where God sat up on high and it goes, write the word thee. You know, you misspelled thou. Scripture came, when God, we talk about God breathing, Scripture comes in all kinds of forms. Poetry, history, direct revelation. But God has breathed life into it via man. Now, I know for some of us we're going, what is the big deal? The big deal is this. If this is just words of man on a page, it's worthless garbage. It becomes a literary resource for us to to look at and use and maybe apply to our lives when it's convenient. But if scripture, graphe, as we have it, Old and New Testament writing is the very breath of God. It is the very word of God. Then it changes everything. Because then this doesn't become a guiding document. This becomes the very word of life. The first principle we have to understand when we articulate what I believe about the Bible is we have to articulate the fact that these are the words of God. And there's a holy mystery in there. So these are the words of God. Breathe. Theopunestos. Breathed out by God. The very words. Now if these are the words of God, then the second principle is this then to disobey or disbelieve any portion of Scripture is to disobey or disbelieve God. Now hear me say that again. If these are God's words breathed out, then to disbelieve or disobey God's Word is to disbelieve or disobey God. Now right about now is when I become wildly unpopular. Because we don't want to buy that. Society doesn't want to buy into that. And sadly enough, most of our churches don't want to buy into that. But that doesn't make it any less true. If these are God's words spoken to us, this is not a suggestion book for how we're called to approach our lives. But unfortunately, that's what most of us do. When it's convenient, when it goes along with what I'm feeling, where I'm struggling, what my issues are, then it becomes very true and very important. But man, when scripture contradicts my behavior, when it convicts me of something in my life, when it calls me to something radically different, then this book is antiquated and is simply a suggestion. The reality is we don't have that luxury. 
If this is God's word, breathed out by him, theopunesis, breathed out by God, to disobey or disbelieve it becomes to disobey or disbelieve God. Now most of us, we don't want to hear that at all. Because we've gone through here on certain occasions that we found things that we don't like. And man, we want to ignore it or file it away as crazy talk. We don't have that luxury. Now that doesn't mean that there are things in Scripture that we've got to wrestle with. That we've got to talk about. That we've got to investigate. That we've got to dive into. That we have to wrestle and decide what that means. But it doesn't mean we get to pick and choose. It doesn't mean we get to hold it up and say, yes, God... I love this. And then pretend we didn't read that other passage. There's some difficulty in there. But it's beautiful because it challenges us to wrestle with God. Principle number one. These are the very words of God breathed out by God. Principle number two. To disobey or disbelieve these words is to disobey or disbelieve God. If these words are the very words of God, principle three is this. Then it holds all authority for matters of life, faith, and practice. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, in verse 15, And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture, graphe, the words of God, the breath of God, holds the ability to reveal to you all wisdom To have your faith in Christ. It is the authority for all matters of faith. Scripture points to and holds the authority for all matters that make up our Christian life and beyond. For all matters of theology. And not only that, but it has authority in matters of life and practice. Listen to this. All Scripture breathed by God, breathed out by God, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture has the authority for all matters of faith, life, and practice. Again, this is where I get wildly unpopular. What that means is that Scripture becomes a sole authority for our lives. We don't take it and line it up next to all our other understandings kind of of life in general and societal norms and weigh them all out and then pick the one that works. Or pick the one that's not going to make everybody hate us. Scripture in its, in its own power, because it is the Word of God, is authoritative. It is the final say. It is the authority. Again, not real popular in our social culture. Because Scripture says some things that aren't exactly politically correct. And Scripture speaks to behaviors and lifestyles and things about money and stuff that we don't want to hear. But if Scripture is the authority, if it's God's Word, then it holds all power and speaks to all power with the authority of God to every single thing in our life. Now, that may not come out and say, should I buy my son an iPhone, right? I may not be in second iPhone 42. But the principles of Scripture, the authority of Scripture speaks to our life in ways that God wants us to see, seek, and understand. Scripture's authoritative. Popular culture, mainline church, they want to tell you it's not. 
The problem is it's not true. It's the very breath of God, breathed out by God. It carries all authority. It's not part of the authority. We don't take Scripture and weigh it up with all of our traditions of what we understand. Scripture gets to speak into those traditions. Final principle is this. If, 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 the, if Scripture is the Word of God, if to disobey or disbelieve Scripture is to disobey or disbelieve God, if it holds all authority for matters of faith, life, and practice, then Paul goes on to tell Timothy this. Scripture is totally sufficient. Listen to this. Scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, right? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture in itself is totally sufficient for our lives. What that means is this. God has given us everything he thinks we need and should have. If Scripture needed to expound more, God would have breathed that into it. Scripture is sufficient for every struggle, every issue that we will have. It speaks to those things and principles and understandings that cause us to seek God. If the Bible, Scripture says, don't kill people, we don't have the luxury to say, I'm going to take that into account and weigh out my other options. Because I want to be justified in killing people. Scripture becomes sufficient. It becomes the final answer and all we need to know. It's almost like my dad. (laughs) My dad would say, if I say no, that means no. Right? There was no option. My dad's only answer, when you're 6'4", weigh 240. We'll talk about it again. My dad was the final authority. Sorry, he didn't like it. Scripture's totally sufficient. The reality is we treat it like it's a doctor and we need a second opinion. When we come across something and we are convicted, what do we do? We go talk to a friend. We go try and and share with somebody or we kind of seek something out or we try and find some kind of loophole that would speak into us and give us a second opinion that says, yeah, but that really just kind of meant 2,000 years ago. Come on. Scripture's sufficient. It doesn't make it any less difficult. It doesn't mean it takes any less struggle and wrestling with it on our part. But if God wanted us to know more, he'd have put it in there. So then where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us challenging us to seek God. See, Scripture isn't the only way God speaks to us. God speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. Scripture causes us to seek God more intently. Scripture pushes us in the direction that says, God, I don't get it. Help me. Reveal this to me. Do you know that every time we gather in here before we open God's Word, what do we do? We pray that God would open our hearts. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's Word. We're never going to figure this out on our own. Scripture is an encounter with God and pushes us in the direction of a more in-depth encounter with God. Scripture causes us to seek God and want to know Him, His precepts and His principles. But it is sufficient. You don't need a second opinion. What you need is to seek God and have Him help you understand. You know, the interesting thing about this sermon is there, this message, is that most people walk out of here and be like, eh, I don't really know. Pretty good. But it is what it is. 
Because we don't really want to have to come down that hardline stance. Because it feels much safer to say, yes, the Bible is awesome and I love it. But I can't really use it as the sole authority guiding principle for everything in my life. I mean, this has some pretty strong language about divorce, about homosexuality, about um, money, about how I love my enemy. What do you do with that? So the reality is, is that, Trev, you're just up there barking and, man, I want to hear it, but come on. I mean, really? That's so fundamental. Those are all just words. The truth is, Scripture testifies to itself. It is the authority. Whether I say it is or not, you can't get around it. So at some point in time, we all just kind of have to deal with it. And so my great challenge for us is this. Don't trust me. Don't take my word for it. Begin to dive into it yourself. I'll give you more about this in one second. Real quick, four principles. Scripture's God breathed. It is God's word. Old and New Testament. Breathed out by God. Theopunestos. God has breathed life into it. It is his very word. Because it is his word, to disobey it is to disobey God. To disbelieve it is to disbelieve God. It holds all authority for matters of life. Everything you and I do, morally at work, in our homes, with our money, with our behavior. It holds all authority for matters of faith. Jesus Christ, who he is, a principle of redemption, salvation, and grace. Heaven and hell and all other things, theology. And it holds all authority for how we practice and live these things out. The final fourth principle is this. It is totally sufficient. It is a complete document complete breath it is the beginning and the end it is there is nothing beyond it outside of its grasp and realm so the questions that leaves us with are this what role or place does scripture does god's word play in your life do you know it have you spent time in it if it's really an encounter with god do you know god are you spending time with him is it something that you, you hear me preach about? Or is it something you wrestle with on your own? It's an important question. What role does this thing play in your life? This word of God. Is it the foundation of everything that you believe, understand? Should it be? So I mentioned this, don't trust me. I don't want you to trust me. I never want you to trust me. I always want you to hold everything that comes out of my mouth and any other preacher, pastor you hear, everything that comes out of my mouth against the standard of the Word of God. Never take what I say and just go, oh, Chubb said it, it's right. Measure it up against God's Word. And so what we've done is on our community life table, we've put some, some reading plans out. My challenge is that I want you to get involved with the Word yourself. I don't want you to show up on Sunday and have me teach it to you. I want you to wrestle with it on a weekly, daily basis, seeking God. Having Him open your life to new truths, to new ways of seeing. There's some amazing, life-altering stuff in there. 
So on that table, we've got a bunch of different reading plans. They're just plans to give you guides. There, there's a 30-day guide to spending time with, with uh, Jesus in the Gospels. There's a 30-day guide to walking through the Psalms. There's a 180-day guide that's kind of an introduction to the Bible. There's a two-week guide that takes pieces of the Bible and walks you through them two weeks at a time. There's another guide over there. It's like 100, 280 days. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff over there. The challenge is just walk by and pick something up. If not, if you're really simple, just pick a book of the Bible. Start in the book of John read a chapter a day. If you need more guidance and direction, there's some stuff there. Don't take my word for it. Dive into God's word and see what Scripture says about itself. Scripture is a self-attesting document. God speaks about its authority in itself. What role does it play in your life? The challenge this week is either pick up one of those or decide that for this one week, you're going to spend seven days in the Bible. Seven days. If you want to know where you can go, where it would be a good place to start, come talk to me. I'd love to give you some ideas. But I would love everybody here to show back up on Sunday having spent seven days. with.